Actually, by combining a variety of coverages, a company can spread its risk while continuing to increase its financial strength. An unusual or extreme exposure when a business either can't find insurance for or winds up paying huge rates to protect against it may be an ideal home for a captive. Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. A look at the changing risk and resilience landscape with insights on the challenges facing businesses today and tomorrow. Hi, everybody. I'm Renee Koa from Zurich North America. Captive insurance may be among the best kept secrets in the business world, if only because so many of us aren't exactly sure what it is and what it's designed to do. In today's current climate of rising insurance premiums and sometimes hard to find insurance coverages, what the insurance industry refers to as a hard market, many companies may not even realize that captive insurance can be a terrific way to help address these problems while protecting themselves. Here to help demystify the topic is Kay Eisenstein, Head of Captive and Fronting Solutions at Zurich North America. Kay and her team help Zurich develop innovative, tailored, compliant solutions and enhanced service for fronted, captive, and international programs. Kay, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Renee, for having me. Well, let's start with what I'll call Captives 101. Can you tell us what captive insurance is? Captive insurance is basically an insurance company for an insured, which provides alternative solutions to retain risk. There are several types of captives, and I'll, I'll share with you a couple of them. Single parent captive is a one-to-one -one relationship, typically a wholly owned subsidiary of the insured's parents. A group captive is many to one. It is typically one that's owned by its members, which are different insureds. And the one that's we're seeing a lot of activity in the marketplace is segregated cells, sponsored cells, is considered a special purpose insurance company that legally establishes a separate and distinct cell, whereas the assets and liabilities are walled off, just like you own a condo building, they're walled off. Depending upon the domicile, they're called additional names. In one domicile, they might be called a segregated portfolio company, an SPC, or a protected cell company, a PCC, or just a separate account company called a SAC. There's a lot of options there. And Kay, in a nutshell, if I'm hearing this right, a captive is essentially an insurance company that I create for my business. Absolutely. It's an insurance company you can create for your business and potentially for third-party business. Okay. And we are um, going to talk about domiciles later because I had some questions about that. But right now, why is it important for businesses to consider a captive today? Well, you started off uh, talking about a hard market. And in today's world, we're in the middle of a hard market. And hard market is defined by a couple of things. One, the interest rates are historically low, so that reduces the return on investments for insurance companies. Another thing is claims. We've had some significant claim activity from natural catastrophes, whether the wind's blowing or wildfire coverages and exposures on the West Coast. The other thing is the impact of social inflation. Now, what is social inflation? It's an insurance term that refers to 
the increasing cost of insurance claims resulting from things like increased litigation or larger jury awards that the jurors are providing to the plaintiffs. In today's world, basically commercial insurance insurers like Zurich, we have raised premiums, we potentially have curtailed offerings by exiting certain lines of business and reduced capacity in many lines. For an example, an insurance policy that offered a million dollar in coverage in the past may now only offer $500,000. Okay, and I want to do uh, a small plug for the social inflation topic because we actually have a podcast with your colleague and my colleague, John Shane, that ran in May for anyone that wants uh, some more information on social inflation. So, Kay, getting back to these stressors for insurance companies, Explain why a captive makes sense for businesses given these conditions. So Renee, let's see. When a business has to take, a, take on a higher deductible and is forced to pay more for insurance, this is what's happening right now in the marketplace. So they're assuming more risk. And if that's the case, if you assume more risk, could you assume more risk through an insurance company that you own utilizing your own capital from that perspective? Captives are long-term, right? And they're part of companies' risk management solutions. The, the beauty of an, a captive is to protect the assets of the insured's assets. And to take it one step further, this hard market you talk about, this is cyclical, right? It's going to ebb and flow between a hard market and a soft market. And I'm guessing having a captive will be good in either situation. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's just not only used in hard market, it, it can be used in hard and soft. Again, it's part of that risk management solution. I want to segue into an example, which sometimes I think um, helps clarify this. So let's say I own a chain of gelato shops, which actually sounds like a great business for me, <laughs> and we'll call it Renee's Gelato. What is the difference between me buying, say, property insurance from an insurance carrier and me starting a captive to cover my property insurance? Great question. And I also, too, like gelato. So this is a great topic. <laughs> so let's let's look at two couple scenarios. Traditional insurance versus the captive. With traditional insurance, right, from, from a commercial insurer, your gelato company is going to buy a $2.5 million insurance policy with a $275,000 deductible. So the premium you may pay for that is $750,000. That means in addition to the rates and the premium you pay, you'll pay the $750,000, and then you'll also pay the first $275,000 of any claims that come out of that deductible layer. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, you res- and, you, and you reserve that on your balance sheet. So you put an accrual on your balance sheet. Alternatively, if you create a captive solution for the same coverage, you would pay the fronting carrier, say, a million dollars, which is the cost for that deductible layer. Now, admittedly, you're paying the insurance company a million dollars of premium, where it's a higher upfront cost, right? So before it was paying $750, but you're paying a million now. But of that million dollars, we're going to give you the $250 to your captive to fund those future losses. And that shows up in your insurance company on your captive. So again, that 250, you you pay for it up front, you send it to the fronting carrier, the fronting carrier will share that premium to the captive, 
and that's housed in the captive's financial statements. What happens was that if you have no losses in that calendar year, you actually retain that profit within your captive. And potentially you can roll it over to the next year to help support any other costs that you may incur within that captive program. I like the idea of accumulating money that I'll have available to protect my own interests in the future. So you're right. Not only does it help offset for losses for today's calendar year, okay. but, but it could help you offset other losses from other lines of business that you might run through your captives. So for example, you were talking about property. You may now take a look into your casualty lines of business, maybe work comp. Well, work comp is frequency. So if property losses, it happens, it's very short tail. In casualty world, it's long tail. So if you don't pay any property losses out today, that could help supplement your casualty losses in the future. And short tail K means uh, their immediate payouts or their immediate expenses. A absolutely. So short tail means that the losses would occur within the calendar year or typically in property six months afterward. Okay. And long tail casualty. Is they can be at a 15 to a 30 year horizon for sure. Okay. And speaking of losses, I'm taking this to the next step by thinking that if every claim I pay is coming out of my own pocket per the captive, maybe I start paying more attention to how I run my business. Absolutely. When you run your own business, you have to assume responsibility for those own losses. When you start paying for your own losses out of your own pocket, you actually start changing your behaviors and start implementing risk management practices. In other words, you got skin in the game. And when you have skin in the game, you tend to take a look at things a little bit more closely. And when you do that, you build stronger risk mitigation solutions to mitigate those larger exposures, those potential exposures from claims. At the end of the day, it makes your company more resilient and it's a win-win. That makes complete sense. So, okay, Kay, Renee's gelato is definitely interested in the captive solution. <laughs> well, that's, that's great, that's great. So before we go on, I would like to level set a couple things. A lot of people believe captives is a great way to save money. And it is a great way to save money. It's a long-term journey. So by creating a captive, I want to emphasize it's not saving money on day one. It's about finding solutions and saving money over a horizon of time. So for example, in, in, in the example we talked about earlier, we said instead of a $275,000 deductible, right? It's a captive solution for the same risk. So the deductible and the captive is the same exposure, the $275,000, but you're paying that cost up front to put it into the captive to hold on to the balance sheet from there. So the captive at the end of the day would be responsible for those claims and it has the funding to pay for those losses in the future. By investing in your own money, you know, it, it helps strengthen the parent's cash flow. Again, this little company that they have now, it's, it has underwriting income. Underwriting income drives profit and that creates investment returns for the company. So it's premium savings in the long run because they're paying the premium to themselves at the end of the day. It also provides better control in, in the deductible or slash coverage limits that they need. So no more, no less. Okay, Kay, that makes sense. Now, the more I think of this though, 
are some companies leery of doing this because it requires a new skill set? If I own a chain of gelato shops, I'm very good at making gelato, but I'm pretty sure I don't want to get into the insurance business. You don't have to do this by yourself. There's several um, service providers and professionals out there that will support you. You start with a feasibility study. You sit back and say, what am I trying to solve for my company, right? So you look at the coverage. What is the coverage we're looking for? Are you trying to drive down long-term costs? What is the future risk appetite? Once that's determined, then you would work with a fronting carrier. And a fronting carrier is one that issues the policy. The insured would remit the insurance premium funds to the fronting carrier, who then sends the premiums for the first loss retention or the captive retention to their captive that the premiums retain to pay for those future claims in the future. So using Zurich as an example, we can offer the necessary governance and compliance guidance, whether you're based strictly in the US, operate globally. We offer the AMBEST rating, right? So we're AMBEST rated paper, as well as our experience and knowledge in claims and risk engineering services to support your captive in the future. And that AMBEST credit rating, that's establishing your captive's financial strength, right? Which is something you have to uh, show when you decide to take this step? That is correct. Okay. Now, we used property insurance as an example of a captive, but I wondered um, what coverages could a company have a captive insurer? A great question. So usually our customers start off usually in the casualty lines, but typically we see property casualty lines, which is work comp, auto, and general liability. We're seeing a significant uptick in inquiries on the global employee benefits, medical stop loss, financial lines, and even cyber insurance coverages being added to the mix. In fact, Zurich's captive customers, for example, ensure a wide variety of lines. If Zurich writes the coverage, we can send it to a captive. Actually, by combining a variety of coverages, a company can spread its risk while continuing to increase its financial strength. An unusual or extreme exposure when a business either can't find insurance for or winds up paying huge rates to protect against it may be an ideal home for a captive. Could you give us an example, Kay, of an unusual or extreme exposure? Sure, I have a couple actually I would like to share with you. So I've seen where a captive actually has taken the risk related to wildfire exposure, where the fronting care would write the policy that we're going to exclude the wildfire, but the customer really needed that protection. So the captive decided to take that wildfire exposure uh, as a net retained exposure going forward. The other thing I've seen in the marketplace is potentially some cat exposure. It depends upon you know, what the cost in the marketplace versus how they protect their assets. If they believe that their captive can retain that risk, they'll put that exposure in their captive. So if a company has 50 different manufacturing plants and one is in a hurricane vulnerable zone, they could create a captive just for that company? They wouldn't just create it just for that. It actually helps them get access to the reinsurance marketplace. So it helps them spread that risk a little bit better. Oh, so that that actually segues to my next question. In, in terms of unusual and extreme exposures, you mentioned having a captive gives you VIP access to the reinsurance market. Now, can you explain what that means and why it's valuable? 
Sure, sure. What's what are we trying to solve, right? We talked about that earlier. What is a captive trying to solve? It can solve a variety of issues, right? So mm -hmm. one of the things some of our customers use as captive is to get access to the reinsurance marketplace. And so what is reinsurance, right? Reinsurance is basically sharing and spreading the risk with other carriers. And the reason why they want to do that is to mitigate their risk. So for example, in the captive space where it's a multi-line captive where it could have work comp, GL and auto, and potentially a property risk, they might want to buy a stop loss protection. And what a stop loss protection is, is trying to mitigate the risk um, that the captive will pay out over a period of time. So how they do that is they go purchase an insurance contract or a reinsurance contract with a reinsurer and it creates certainty. So for example, the most the captive will ever lose is $5 million because he may have purchased a stop loss protection to say, once the captive pays 5 million, I already have reinsurance to backstop me for anything above 5 million. So that's a stop loss protection. Then the other scenarios, we kind of focused in on, the, on a potential hurricane solution, right? Or, or a cat exposure where they might wanna carve out a specific reinsurance exposure for that specific cat exposure and says, hey, I know I can take risk for 90% of the plants, but this one plant not feeling the love. So I go purchase that reinsurance. Got it. And what I'm also hearing you say is that companies can pick and choose where they want to use a captive and where they might say, hey, I'm buying traditional insurance for this. To use a grocery store parlance, you can mix and match. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not an either and or. It's what they're trying to solve and what the marketplace, you know, shares with them. You know, it, it's really important that a lot of our customers today um, may use their captive for the casualty lines, but may not use it for the property or vice versa. It really just depends upon what are they trying to solve? What is the marketplace charging for the risk? And what's the risk appetite at the end of the day? Okay, great. The Flexibility certainly sounds appealing. Now, I wanted to segue back, Kay, to the discussion about domiciles for the captive. I'm a little confused about why there are so many different domiciles and if you would elaborate on that and the finer points of choosing one. Sure. So domiciles, it's growing. Captives are growing in the industry, period. And a lot of the United States, a lot of the individual states are creating captive law. And the reason why they're creating captive law is to provide alternative solutions for their insureds that reside in those states. So picking a domicile is part of that feasibility study. It's really important, right? So it goes back to what are you trying to solve for the company's balance sheet? There's regulatory framework. And what I mean by that is each domicile has their certain captive uh, law that they've developed to provide the right solutions for their insureds. And <clears throat> there's costs associated with all the domiciles too. So each domicile has cap different capitalization requirements, startup costs, annual fees, and some of those annual fees could be premium taxes that you paid in the local jurisdictions. The other thing is the domiciles, what does the local captive community do? Does the states have associations that work together to promote the captive solution so that you're learning and working within the states? Onshore versus offshore, right? So, you know, historically, a lot of the original captives were all offshore. As things change over the years, people are bringing things back onshore. 
And there might be certain reasons why you choose to go offshore versus onshore. At the end of the day, it's really important that the United States has definitely, in the 50 states that we have, 70% have captive law, right? They want the money to stay within the state. It, captive programs generate revenue for the states, from the service provider, to the professionals, to the insureds. You don't have to go offshore anymore. You keep it all within, within the United States. So that's the domiciles you know, update for now. I'm sure there, as we speak, there's a lot of other states that are probably looking at it right now. And I'm sure businesses aren't going it alone when they decide this. Their distributors and their um, insurance brokers, as well as uh, any fronting carrier they choose, will help them decide the best domicile, right? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Usually a domicile is, um, you know, selected or is discussed with the captive manager. And the captive manager is the genesis to work with the customer act as the consultant, okay. right? They provide that insight. Great. Now, Kay, what we really have not discussed is when a company is not cut out to start a captive. How does a business know whether it's right for them or wrong for them? A lot of insurers want to dip their toes in the captive industry. But I think, as I mentioned earlier, that feasibility study is really, really important. It helps guide the insured on what they're trying to solve and does it make sense, right? So if they take a look at their insurance cost, their total cost of risk, right? How much premium mm -hmm. they're charging for their insurance. So what's funding that they have to put up front? What's their loss history? If you have an account that has had a significant amount of losses, right? So his premium's going up, but if he's if he's not willing to take some skin in the game, then a captive solution might not be the right solution. So in today's world, a lot of our customers write in guarantee cost policies where they say, give, for example, the fronting carrier $2 million in premium. And that $2 million in premium, does that cover their losses? They don't have to pay any losses in the future. It's a guarantee cost. That policy will be there to pay for any losses. So it's really important to understand are they willing to take some risk on? If they're willing to take some risk on, you can start a deductible, you can go to a captive, and then it helps them manage their solutions in the long run. Okay, and again, that would be the feasibility study is something that you recommend them doing, but it's also um, a requirement to even consider a captive. Yeah, great, great question. A lot of the domiciles um, would encourage a feasibility study done okay. because you want to make sure you're going in with your eyes wide open. What your journey today is versus your journey tomorrow is from a five-year performa perspective. Kay, this has been terrific. Um, thanks for being part of our captive audience. <laughs> and now that I've used a pun, you've probably heard 10 million times. Let's move on to the lightning round. I'm going to ask you five questions and you answer as quickly as you can but feel free to elaborate. Are you ready? I am ready, bring it on. So first I heard that you played on the Zurich softball team for many seasons. I've recently learned that you're a devoted golfer. What's your favorite sport to play and the main life lessons it's taught you? I would say my favorite sport is golf um, as an adult right now. And what it's taught me is you never give up mindset and it teaches you strategy. Two, what's your favorite insurance movie and why? 
Well, not a lot of people have heard of this. It's called a long cane poly. Trust me, it's not a four star by any means, but it talks about risk and how to manage risk. The main character works for an insurance company and his main role was just to assess risk. And while he did that in his, his job, it bled into his normal everyday life. I think it stars Ben Stiller, right? That is correct. And Absolutely. Jennifer Aniston. I'm, and Jennifer Aniston, yep. I've heard of it. I need to see it. Uh, three, what's your favorite vacation spot? My favorite vacation spot is Cancun, Mexico. I've been going there for the past 30 years. And you want to talk about change? A lot of change. What are the biggest lessons learned in your professional career? I would say, hmm, it is okay to fail. I, I firmly believe failure leads to taking on risks. By taking on risks, you give yourself a chance to continue to grow and develop. Trust me, I learn something new every day here at Zurich. And finally, what is the most important skill a leader should develop? Hmm. Communication and problem solving. Communication is not always about speaking clearly and articulating. Is It's also being very, very important to be a really active listener. And by being an active listener promotes the questions, which allows you to actually allows me to learn more about the problem, which I'm trying to solve. That makes uh, complete sense. Kay, thanks so much for helping us unlock the mysteries of captive insurance. Oh. Renee, thank you so much for having me today. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at ZurichNA.com and join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.